Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's head across the ditch. Brett Phillips is the man who is calling the Australian Open for SEN. He joins us on the program. Morning to you, Brett. Welcome. Yeah, morning. Uh, I keep thinking it's Tuesday, to be totally honest. But yes, it is Monday. It's uh, the Sunday start is, um, well, look, I, I'm a fan. 87,000 people came through the gates uh, yesterday, so it, it justifies, you know, moving to a Sunday. More people can come on the weekend. I mean, certainly the narrative going around at the AO yesterday was that they'd love to make this a full, you know, three-week event and maybe start the um, tournament on a Saturday. So all that in the future. Uh, but, yeah, I think the Sunday start... Yeah, certainly provided us with uh, some entertainment, uh, a bit of drama. Uh, the Aussies were involved in a few five-set matches, a little scare for, not really a scare, but he was pushed, uh, Novak Djokovic, against um, a potential rising star of the future. So, yeah, it had a bit of everything, heaving crowds and a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Australian sporting landscape, you've got the AFL Grand Final and AFL throughout the year, you've got the NRL Grand Final, you guys have the Melbourne Grand Prix. Is this the biggest sporting event on the Australian calendar? I think so, yeah. The duration, you know, two weeks, uh, the real estate that it owns, you know, pretty much from the heart of Melbourne uh, for a good, you know, kilometre or two. And, you know, in, in Craig Tiley's words, the tournament director and the CEO of uh, Tennis Australia, he'd love to make this the biggest sporting event in the world. He's never been short of ambition, Craig, very innovative. And he feels like they're only, you know, the t- at the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. So... Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know what the future does uh, look like in terms of the Australian Open. It's just such a, you know, I'm a bit blessed here. You know, living in Melbourne, we've got an incredible sporting precinct that's so close to the the heart of the city, which you know doesn't exist really in any other city or most cities around the world. So, yeah, I think um, you know the government has spent what over three hundred million dollars to you know bring Melbourne Park up to the next level. You know, three. Uh, courts with a closed roof and just the facilities in general. I mean, you know, you look back to the, the days when it uh, came to Melbourne Park, it's just, um, yeah, evolved enormously. Mm, yeah, a lot of people won't remember the days the Australian Open it actually used to be played on grass, didn't it? It did. I was just down the road from where I was speaking to you at uh, Kuyong, and every time I walk into Kuyong, I was a little too young at the time, but I walk in there and I think, uh, how on earth was a Grand Slam uh, played here? It's uh, quite extraordinary, but it, it's still the spiritual home of Australian tennis. A lot of great history with the Kuyong Classic last week. And, yeah, it's obviously a place that, um, you know, people remember fondly, but, we, you know, clearly the, the tournament had outgrown that facility. And, yeah, it's, it's just incredible uh, how, how much uh, real estate they've got now. And that's the great part. You had 87,000 people on site yesterday, but the site is so well spread out that, you know, you don't really feel like you're on top of each other. Chris O'Connell, thrilling five-set match against um, Christian Gutton, the only Australian to go through on day one. Just from a New Zealand point of view, who carries the flag now for Australian tennis on both the men's and women's side? What are the expectations around the Australian players for this tournament? 
Yeah, well, certainly our hopes are with Alex Dimonor, you know, having risen to the top 10 in the last two weeks. He plays Milos Raonic tonight on centre court, and, you know, Raonic is obviously coming from a layoff. He's had a lot of injuries, the former world number three the last few years, so he's a little short of a gallop, but he's dangerous because he's big and he serves so well. Uh, so the Demon will have to make some inroads. He's got a tricky draw, but, you know, for the first time, I think he believes that he can really beat all these guys. He's, you know, risen incrementally. It's been a great sort of journey to follow. He's a terrific young guy. I mean, he's, you know, cut from the same cloth as Leighton Hewitt. Uh, every point is life and death for Alex, and he's got a great attitude, good team around him. You know, Leighton's a, a mentor and a huge influence in the background. And, look, we actually believe that, you know, have started to believe that he can actually maybe win a slam. Uh, we didn't probably think that 12 months, two years ago. And, it, it, you know, the, the, the calibre of players around him is is so good that, you know, it comes down to match-ups and a bit of luck, a point here or there. But he's our main hope, certainly, on the men's side. We've got, you know, nine players inside the top 100 Australia. A lot of them, you know, O'Connell got through yesterday, but, you know, Kibler goes down in a tough five-setter, Sweeney in a tough five-setter. So they're all really competitive. That's the DNA of Australian tennis players. But... Yeah, Demonor sort of set himself apart from those guys. And, yeah, the women, it's a little thin uh, right now. And that's you know, going to be the case for a little while. We've got a couple of promising 18-year-olds. One girl, Taylor Preston, just keep an eye on her. She's going to keep skyrocketing up the rankings. She's at 200. 18 in the world, she plays Alina Svitolina uh, today. who's made a great comeback as a mum. Uh, but she's one that we're hoping for. She's got the glint in the eye, I can tell you, of an Ash Barty. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where the progress goes. Okay, so in terms of the crowd favourite, who outside of the Australians seems to be the brand athlete, seems to be the athlete, uh, the, the player that everybody wants to get up and watch, everybody wants to get alongside, is it Novak Djokovic or is he still sort of loved by some and hated by others? Yeah, it was interesting to, to observe centre court last night. So, you know, he played this uh, young Croatian, won the French Open boys singles last year, Dino Primzik. He's a uh, solid boy. He's got the Elkaraz type legs, Holgaruna type, uh, that lower core, so strong. And, you know, these young guys are so ready. They're, they're not sort of biding time or developing. They they believe they can win. They're not playing, you know, the, the resume on the other side of the net. And, I mean, Novak sort of likes those matches in the early part of the tournament just to work him in. You almost feel like sometimes he's, he's orchestrating it himself, but we'll never know that. Um, but, look, Djokovic, yeah, I think, you know, it, it seems such a long time ago, the whole deportation and COVID and everything else, that we've almost forgotten about it. He's a 10-time champion. They may very well build a statue of him at Melbourne Park. So there is the respect. But we're loving this next crew. That's where... You know, the practice courts when you've got Carlos Elcaraz and Holger Runer and Ben Shelton, Yannick Sinner, who had a you know, nice first-up win yesterday. These guys are drawing uh, the spectators. They're the next generation, and uh, it's, it's pretty exciting, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, but we, the, the we, tennis they're playing. We, we keep talking about the next generation, but we still really haven't seen the next generation come through. We've been talking about the next generation for a long time. Alcaraz, yeah, well, OK, he's won himself a US Open, yeah. and he's done well, but it's still Novak yep. Djokovic, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt. The best of five, yeah, it's still Djokovic. That's the ultimate test, and particularly at Melbourne Park, because he owns this court. It's his home away from home. So, yeah, Elkares has won a couple of majors. I mean, Sinner, you feel like, is almost ready to break through uh, this year, but Novak is still so driven. So whilst he's in really good physical shape, which he is, and he wants to get some really, you know, significant separation, I think, uh, ahead of Nadal to be arguably, you know, without doubt, the greatest of all time, um, 
and I think he he's enjoying, you know, these keeping these young bucks at bay. So whilst he's still driven to the point he is, and there's there's no signs of the body breaking down, yeah, these guys um, have got their work cut out. But um, they're playing a high level of tennis. They want to take Djokovic on. So it's a beautiful thing, to be honest, when these two things collide. And, you know, hopefully Novak plays a couple more years while these guys build even further. So, yeah, it's great for the men's game. But, yeah, Algaraz has been the standout. But, gee, I feel like like, um, Sinner now is just about ready and it's going to need a bit of luck. Okay, so if you were to look through the crystal ball five years from now, we've seen the great rivalries, haven't we? We've seen Federer, um, Nadal, as we talk about Djokovic. You go back to the days of Sampras and Agassi. Five years from now, who do you think will be the, say, two or three great rivals? Where's that next rivalry coming from? Yeah, I mean, those names that I've mentioned, I think already, uh, you know, like Elkaraz and Runa, who played juniors together, they played doubles in juniors together, and, you know, Elkarez is just ahead of Holger, but these two will develop a terrific rivalry, Elkarez and Sinner. I mean, they've already played an epic, you know, five-setter at the US Open when Carlos won it in 22, so those two are going to build. Sinner and Runa will develop a rivalry as well, so... And then, you know, Shelton's the brash American uh, coming through, and there's a few more names, but, yeah, no doubt. I mean, these guys are going to be sustainable. They aren't flesh in the pans. They're going to have great careers, and we're, we're pretty blessed. Okay, look, I want to talk about um, the activity on the outside courts at Wimbledon at Strawberries and Cream. What is the old tucker at the Australian Open? What, what, what's, the, what's the marquee dish available for the pundits? Well, that's a good question because, uh, you know, I'm in such the bubble. I mean, you broadcasters, you broadcasters, you know, you, 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 you don't live in a world of reality. You get well looked after. You've got the sort of the first class dining. But for the average punter, yeah. what is it, a pie? Is it a, what's the old tucker they're offering? Well, I think it's got a little more upmarket these days. If you go to the MCG next door, you can still get a 4 and 20 pie and a hot dog. Uh, I don't see much of that stuff at the tennis, I've got to say. It's a little more, they get, you know, some of the leading restaurants in Melbourne and uh, you know, it's a bit more, uh, bit more funky. And but to be honest, um, I don't get out there that much. <laughs> I'm in the cocoon <laughs> where I get beautiful, uh, you know, vegetables and uh, some nice meat and you know, nice sustainable food to get us through the uh, the 15 hour days. I've got to tell you. So I will make a point though, just to wander out to the eateries and uh, see for myself what they're eating. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, uh, weather-wise, temperature-wise, are there any rules and regulations now in place regarding extreme heat and, I, I, I guess, you know, taking greater care of um, the players' health? Yeah, it's been been um, in place for a little while, um, and they measure that. It's, it's uh, I've forgotten the terminology now. The uh, the wet bulb, I think they call it. Um, so, but looking at the forecast, to be honest, I don't think we're going to get that extreme sort of situation but um yeah obviously if it gets i think you know it gets to about mid 30s but it can depend on you know what the court they measure the court temperature and those hard courts get you know pretty warm underfoot and um there's a few other little factors you know uh, meteorological factors that go into all of that that you know will say whether they take the players off court but yeah it's been a while since uh I was trying to think, you know, I mean, all those years ago, we had a 46-degree day in Melbourne, which was so extreme. Um, but I think, you know, generally we've had a pretty mild uh, summer uh, here in Australia, particularly in Melbourne, which, as you know, uh, can change from uh, one hour to the next. And what about restrictions in terms of the length of play and the time of day that a mm. game can go? Are we still having games at 2am in the morning? 
No, well, it's a big thing now that uh, with obviously the Australian Open uh, starting on the Sunday, you're spreading the first round across uh, three days, which reduces the matches. And they've also uh, reduced the matches on Rod Laver Arena, uh, Margaret Court Arena, the two main courts. So I only had two day session matches, which basically means, and the US Open uh, do this, which basically means that the night session will always start on time. That was often the issue. They were playing three matches on RLA and uh, Margaret Court, and sometimes the night session, you know, with two matches, wouldn't be starting to late 39 o'clock, which puts you right behind the eight ball. So they've alleviated that. But, I mean, they can't guarantee. I mean, tennis, um, there's no clock, as we know. There's no uh, final buzzer. It's when the match ends. And, you know, look, for example, last night, Djokovic plays four hours. We didn't expect that against a qualifier in the first round. Uh, Rina Sabalenka came out and won pretty comfortably. So I think we're out of there after midnight at some point. But, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see whether we get you know, um, a day where it just uh, drags on. And that's the unknown, really, of tennis. But I think on the tour this year, they're going to be trialling the ATP and the WTA if, um, you know, a match hasn't started by, I think, 11pm. They'll, uh, you know, postpone it to the next day. So, yeah, I think they're, they're trying to look at some things to, you know, appease the players and, and certainly the spectators. OK, just finally, Brett, so what are the marquee matches people are looking forward to on day two of the Australian Open today? Yeah, there's a bit to like. Uh, noted about that, some you know terrific uh, matchups uh, right across uh, the men's and the women's. I mean, Coco Goff will be on centre court. You know, she's definitely up there in the top four now. Was the top three winning the US Open? It's has put her on the map. Uh, Stefano Sitsipas will be an interesting watch. He's got um, he's a Bergs of Belgium, but he's back. Isn't a hundred percent. But the night session, uh, Demon or Roundish, to be followed by the return of Naomi Osaka, which is going to be fascinating. We had a little glimpse of her in Brisbane. She was striking the ball pretty well, and her return to Grand Slam tennis tonight up against Caroline Garcia, the former world number four. So it's a tough, uh, certainly first up match. But looking forward to seeing you know, Naomi back uh, at a place where she's won a couple of majors. So, yeah, certainly uh, Rod Laver in the night session tonight is going to be pretty exciting. And Felix Auger-Eliassime, he's trying to find some form, the Canadian. He's got Dominic Team, the former world number three. I mean, that would be fourth round, uh, going back a couple of years ago, but a, a first round at the AO. Well, Brett Phillips, have a great call. Lovely to catch up. And thank you for your time this morning here on SENZ. No doubt. Pleasure. Thank you. There you go, Brett Phillips. All things the Australian Open Day 2 from Rod Laver Arena. Certainly the biggest sporting event in Australia, one of the biggest sporting events in the world. Always great weather, great hospitality. And I've got to say, I've just sort of returned from Australia myself, just up on the Sunshine Coast. And okay, I'm not going to talk tennis here, but my kids are into their surf lifesaving and I like to do my swimming. And just the noticeable difference that you see between here and New Zealand, and it's a population thing, to be fair. Um, economies of scale, I guess, but the facilities that Australia have that we just simply don't have. You go to the surf clubs, surf life-saving clubs in Australia, and they're just three levels, restaurants, incredibly well-resourced. They're every two or three kilometres along the coast. Outdoor 50-metre swimming pools everywhere, 10 lanes. You get your own lane when you jump in. Uh, just remarkable, remarkable facilities. And then you just look at Rod Laver Arena, you look at the fact that three of the main courts there now have roofs. Uh, they can you know, cover the courts if need be. Um, $300 million investment into Rod Laver Arena by the Victorian government. And, um, you know, and they reap the benefits of it. They do genuinely see a return on that investment. Um, but I hate to say it from a... Sporting point of view, we do live very much in a, a backwater, don't we? Um, 
not sure what the solution is, but I can sort of understand why a lot of New Zealanders end up moving to Australia. Of course, the other big difference being the climate as well.